You know, in, in entrepreneurship, we face obstacles all the time. Um, actually, you just have to roll with the punches. Um, so if I had to stop and count all my failures, like I'd be sitting down the whole day just listening. <laughs> so I really, I, I really don't stop to um, count my failures. Like I always know that there's something next. Welcome back to the Tea with Nikki. We are protein, not anti-coffee. On the Tea with Nikki, we have candid conversations with women who are the leaders in their industry, whether it's from the corporate office to the sports field or their own entrepreneurship endeavor. And we speak about failure and leadership. Today, I sit down with Nobukozi Tlamini, who is the founder of Tech Consultancy for Cybersecurity and Data Protection, Bahati Tech. We speak about her journey to being internationally recognized as an incredible female entrepreneur in the tech space, what she has done within her industry as well and helping women to gain technical skills with coding and software development, as well as helping 50 women and SMMEs go digital from being in the traditional space. I also would like to just tell a bit about the story of before we got to having our conversation. As you can see, I'm not in my usual blue room. I am actually in my office at Salt Recruitment in town. We were going to film in the Future Females co-working space, but unfortunately the lift was not working and the emergency doors only opened from the inside, so we weren't able to climb the stairs, otherwise we would have. Then we tried to go to another location, but it was closed and eventually one of my colleagues, Super Suze, helped me by lending me her keys so that I could unlock this space and come and have a wonderful conversation with Nafikozi. And on top of that, which I was stoked about, I got to drink my funny cup mug of I really don't give a fuff. But I did today and I was stressed and I just want to thank Nafikozi once more. Thank you so much for your patience and your kindness. I really do appreciate it. I know you're a Future Females Business School alumni as well. You started Bahati Tech, it's a tech consultancy firm. But 2020 has also been an extremely exciting year for you, or the beginning of it at least. You went to the UK and you received an award. You were one of how many women who received an award? Oh, I think there were about 10 of us from across the continent. We, we went there just to explore business opportunities in the UK because we obviously have businesses across Africa um, and we were looking at how we can grow um, and create more sustainable enterprises. So when you say create more sustainable enterprises, what do you mean exactly? Well, the, we, we had a couple of um, mentoring sessions, um, but also just um, opportunities, looking at opportunities in the UK for our businesses because, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're always looking for the next thing. Yes. Um, okay, so I'm here now working with what is the yes. other markets that I venture into. So. And is it true that you got to meet the Duke and Duchess? How was it meeting royalty? Um, it was very nice. Uh, we went to um, a conference or a summit mm. senior senior um, delegates from governments across Africa. So we had a, a reception dinner at um, Akumi Palace, um, and um, we got to meet them, and um, oh. he, he said a few words. 
Did you, did you spoke as well at the UK-South Africa inaugural summit? Well, the closing session. Initially, I was supposed to speak in the opening session, but there was a lot of drama with travel. And okay. I arrived on the morning, so the organizers decided it's probably better if we delayed to the close because they weren't sure exactly what time it would be able to be And what did you speak on? I spoke about opportunities that African entrepreneurs present because there were a lot of um, investors there. Mm. So the whole idea of that summit was to match people who had businesses or were looking for funding, private like entrepreneurs, but also um, governments. So even governments at, at that level, and also like provincial governments. So for example, our premier in the Western Cape was there to seek foreign investment from the UK into the Western Cape. Um, so it was at that level like national governments, like uh, provincial governments, and also individual entrepreneurs. So I really just spoke about what we as entrepreneurs feel is the best way we would like to engage with them and what opportunities we think we bring to the table and why they should invest in us. Which, which I think is a good idea because a lot of these um, high-level meetings, mm-hmm. often it's government leaders speaking, it's banks, it's um, the World Bank and so on, and you never really get to hear the voice of the entrepreneur, yeah. which are the people who are the ones who are generating value at the end of the day. So I think that was quite a fortunate opportunity for me especially, um, but also just in general for female entrepreneurs to, to represented at that level to say this is what we think, this is how we feel um, because sometimes it gets really technical and you know we, we really are simple and direct about what we want to see. And this isn't the first time you've received international recognition for your work and your entrepreneurial endeavours. You were also one of 108 women in tech who went to Silicon Valley and participated in a program there. Can you tell us a bit more about that as well? This was in 2019. <clears throat> that was last year, yes. Uh, it, it does feel like much further back than it was just last year. Government, US government program, um, the State Department seeks female um, in, in STEM, not just in tech, um, so across the world. So at the end of it, there were 108 from um, across the world and from South Africa, I think we were about um, five or six. And it, it really is an exchange program, but also a cultural program for us to um, explore what the US has to offer and to um, spend a couple of weeks in a Silicon Valley organization that is aligned with what I'm doing locally mm-hmm. to, to learn and to engage and to build those networks. Because, like I said earlier, we're always trying to get the next thing. So it, it really was a good a good um, program in that even today I'm still using those networks. I'm still reaching out in terms of building my company and developing the strategy going forward. Um, and it, but what was really good about it, it wasn't just about business. It was built the cultural side of it. Mm-hmm which is quite important, and also um, being able to come back and create um, impact projects, uh, which is also another element that is part of the program. So 
it was a really good program and I always encourage um, other women to try and get into it. It's a very competitive process. And I think I was selected on my fourth attempt. Oh, wow. So I, I applied a number of years and got rejected before I actually made it in. It is very competitive, but I think it's worth it. Um, I think, you know, sometimes you apply for something once and you don't get it. You should always try mm-hmm. again. Um, and this year I nominated um, another friend of mine who is in the same um, industry and she was selected, so I was very happy about that. That's awesome. Good for her. Incredible. So you're speaking about your consultancy and being in tech. What is it exactly that Bahati Tech does? So we're a cybersecurity and data protection company. Um, and we really help organizations that use tech or develop tech um, to be able to use it in a way that it's responsible firstly when working with people's information. We're lucky now that there are so many laws around um, their protection that um, try to protect citizens um, with how their information is being used or accessed or, or shared. Previously, you know, companies have cut branch in terms of how um, they used information. And now in South Africa, for example, we've got the Poppy Act. In Europe, they have the GDPR. In California, they've got the CCPA and so on. And we really um, now help um, companies to comply um, with those laws. But in so doing, it also helps them to be more responsible. And uh, our, our key message is it's not just about taking a compliance checkbox. It's about improving the customer experience and building trust with Mm -hmm. the customer because if you feel like um, you can trust the company, you'll be able to share a lot more of your information and you feel comfortable, you know, um, and nowadays everybody is so concerned about customer experience and I think just security is is the basic foundation of that. If if I visit your home and I feel unsafe, chances are I won't come back. I'll try to leave as soon as possible. Whereas if, if I feel secure in that environment, I might want to expand, you know, purchase other products, mm-hmm. um, invite other people in and say, this is a great company. So um, we really try to encourage companies to look at that of protection as a customer experience uh, and, and respecting the customer. Uh, one of the analogies I always use is if somebody walks into your shop, mm-hmm. um, you don't just start petting them down and checking what's in their pockets, what yeah. you can use for, their, for your benefit. You really um, treat them with respect and offer them a seat and, and, and so on. But um, when you meet a consumer online, what, what, why is it different? Why do you try and, and get whatever you can from them yeah. just because it's online? The, the, their personal data is a digital representation of who they are um, and you should treat them the same consideration that you treated if a person physically mm-hmm. into the shop. Um, and then cybersecurity is obviously such a big issue and it's one of the pillars of data you know, protection is security, cybersecurity and data security. So you can't really achieve data you know, protection unless you have the basics of cybersecurity and data you know, security. Yes. Have you watched the social dilemma? Yes, so it speaks right into what you're talking about. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on it quickly? I just want to diverge a bit. Segue. <laughs> it's very difficult because 
it, it, it also raises a couple of dilemmas for people like myself mm -hmm. who are um, privacy advocates because um, we obviously utilize social media um, for, for marketing purposes and yeah. to reach customers. So we do want people to be on these platforms. You know, a lot of people have watched it and just said delete, delete social media. And I don't think that's the solution. I think the solution is that online platforms have to come to the party mm -hmm. and start being responsible because we've reached a stage where we can't go back. Yeah. You know, we're so far into um, the online world, we're not going to all of a sudden all delete our apps and, and no longer. And the governments, I think they're always trying to play catch up mm -hmm. because technology progresses at such a fast pace that lawmakers are not... Um, with it. <laughs> yeah, they cannot uh, anticipate until something happens and then they have to be reactive in mm -hmm. developing laws to... I mean, you talk about the social dilemma, they, they, there was the Cambridge Analytica scandal that yes. came out um, previously. Um, and what, what really spurred action from that is that it touched um, on elections, which politicians are most sensitive about. Yeah. So it, it really made them want to act because they want to protect um, their chances of being reelected. So <laughs> that was maybe you know, a blessing in disguise. But I think we have to educate um, children, especially teenagers, mm -hmm. around the use of social media. And I think parents should really watch it to understand the impact of how it shapes, especially a child when they're still developing, um, shapes their view of themselves. Um, which, which is really sad when I watch that happen. are going to continue doing those, um, helping parents just understand because a lot of parents um, nowadays, they just give a gadget to the child. Yes. Like, Go in the corner, don't make it. Here's your iPad. <laughs> yeah, just play on your iPad. And you might even think that they're using safe app, but um, there's a lot of really dodgy characters that are on the lookout for children signing up on, on these apps. Mm -hmm. You know, you might think uh, a simple app like Instagram safe but it's not anything that has a live feature um, where a child can go live and somebody can join or somebody can view can be um, exploited by people who want to use it for wrong purposes and sometimes children are afraid then to, to, to say to someone this happened or yeah. maybe they did something wrong so I think as, as people who are responsible for children you really have to um, keep up to date with what we can do to protect children and I'm hoping that the laws become more stricter in terms of um, punishing people who do um, harm children and also these, these companies and if you are building an app really um, be responsible in, in how you use the knowledge um, because they, they, they are trying to get you to spend your entire life on yes. the app that's how they monetize the app um, but it, it has a, such an adverse impact on society and it's something that you can't take back you know the impact that facebook has had for example um, on the world you know um, on a scale on a good from good to bad you know would you say it has, it has had a positive impact or a negative yeah. impact 
um, depending on, on, on where you sit, you might have different opinions. But the bottom line is they can't take it back. Mm-hmm. Um, they can only um, try and do better going forward if they want to. <laughs> and and why should they want to? You know, these things are driven by shareholder value. That's yeah. what the shareholders want um, to continue seeing the, the stock rises. So it's, it's a very um, tricky situation that tech finds itself in. But fortunately, there are so many people who want to use technology for good and who want to see a better society come out. Especially people who have been in those companies, people who have seen the adverse impact of AI and machine learning and how it can actually cause harm. Yeah. So um, we, I think universities, when you teach um, students about um, automation, AI, machine learning, and so on, we really should re-emphasize um, the ethical programs. I know when I was doing my degree at UCT, we did like a very, very short <laughs> module on ethics and it was just like, yeah, 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 just go do it quickly, you know? Yes, that's it. <laughs> yeah, um, it's not really emphasized and, and, and it's really undermined mm. in general, you know, everybody just like, oh, that, that module just get it over done so you can get a degree. But we really need to focus on ethics and, and helping people because some of these things don't come naturally, um, especially to young people, especially if you've grown up in this culture mm. of, 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 of using these apps, which have already shaped their view of the world. Um, so there's, there's a lot of challenges that we you also spoke about having a social impact and making a social change. You also, I think you founded a foundation called GIFT, Girls in Fintech. So what does GIFT do exactly and is it a community or is it uh, an upskilling program? So the GIFT Foundation, is its core um, value is to create Fintech to be a realistic career choice for girls. Um, fintech in, in particular, but tech in general. So we provide training in, in tech skills, um, teaching girls to code, but also um, financial skills and then bringing all the other fintech components into it. And our focus is really um, girls, young women and teenagers from informal settlements. We started off in the informal settlements here in Langa, uh, but we expanding into other townships and rural areas. We, we really want to, to see um, young women having an impact in that, in that space because in the fintech, especially in South Africa, it's a very um, white male-dominated space where most of the founders of these apps or products are, are white men. But the, the target audience that they serve or they want to serve is mostly African women and it's across the continent. And there's, there's two challenges with that. Um, it's that sometimes these products are, are developed out in a vacuum without the proper um, context of how these people will, will actually utilize it. Um, and also, you know, you want the people um, to be part of the product that will, 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 will serve them. Yeah. Um, and also, I believe that if they are part of that process, if they own that process, they can probably develop a lot more innovative solutions um, 
because they understand their community yeah. better than anybody else coming from the outside. So uh, we always joke that um, fintech solutions, you know, sometimes they look like a copy and paste because yeah. they're so similar. You know? Yeah. So many of them are sending money home, you know, <laughs> just different versions of, of, yeah. of doing that. And and there are so many other needs um, that are there which um, somebody who is in that community might identify yeah. and be able to articulate uh, more succinctly. Um, so that, that is the fundamental that we do. And then now during COVID-19, obviously because it is in low-income um, settings, those, those, those girls or those women, they don't have access to Wi-Fi and their own computers to be able to continue training virtually. So when we went into strict lockdown, we had to put it on hold. And then we started looking at what are the other challenges that they, they are facing in their families that we could assist with. And a lot of them had either parents or older siblings who have their own businesses. So small, small scale entrepreneurs, but who trade doing face-to-face transaction-based businesses. Okay. So they either um, have a cafe in the, in the township. Now they can't do anything. And it was almost six months of solid yeah. um, lockdown where they could not work. And a lot of these businesses are the type of businesses that don't get um, support from, from government because they are informed or they don't have all the necessary documents and so on. Um, so we started a digital enablement program to, to get them on digital platforms, to introduce them to ways in which they can market and transact, um, you know, pivoting the traditional businesses to be, um, to expand beyond what they were, were doing. So that, that, that went very well. We just completed our first cohort um, and we'll have our virtual graduation this week. Actually. Amazing. How many women? We had 50 SMEs. 50? Yes. Wow. Uh, 50 SMEs that we've trained and they've, they've all um, pivoted. And what, what was really um, fantastic for me is that we didn't we didn't put an age limit on it, um, which is what sometimes these programs have, we just say anybody can apply. Um, so we had women who are in their 20s, we had women who are in the 60s, um, who have never, some of them didn't, have never even had an email address. Yeah. And we had to train them from just the basics. And it's amazing what how much we take for granted. Um, you know, sometimes we know that there's so many people on, on the internet who we can um, reach out to and market to. But some of these women were saying, I never knew that there's so many people in South Africa who are on the internet. Yeah. Um, and I always thought the only way to get customers is to print pamphlets and hand them out in, in my community. So. There's a lot of work for us to do to be able to build businesses in this country beyond um, the spaces that we live in, the communities that we build, thinking about that is the scope of tech. Um, There's a lot of people who need um, empowerment, not just um, verbal empowerment, but who need um, people to do their skills and tools and opportunities for them to grow their themselves and establish themselves. So you've obviously been involved in the software development and cybersecurity space for a while. What drew you to that environment? Were you always mathematically inclined? Did you always love computer science? What was it that really drew you to this career choice? 
or exposed you to it actually. I don't know if anybody has always laughed. But yes, I was I was uh, I was good in in, in, in the maths and science subjects at school. Um, so it was one of those opportunities. I think when I started um, studying in varsity, it was more of a popular choice. Mm. Um, I, I almost didn't know what I was getting myself into, but um, once I was which there, happens most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but once I was I was there. I, I, I guess I liked it and I decided to stay. Awesome. And I ask everyone who I've interviewed on the channel, but what does feminine leadership mean to you? Feminine, feminine leadership to me, it means being authentically female and not um, trying to emulate male characteristics or male um, values. You know, as women, we have our own characteristics and I think um, we should, that is our superpower, um, we should always lead with that, um, we, we can never beat a man and be a man, um, but they can never compete with you based on the, on the values and, and, and the, the, the things that you bring to the table. So being authentically, I think that's the most powerful thing we can do. Love that, that's so beautiful. Now we move into a segment I like to call the ABCs of your career. So, A, what was your affluent, amazing aha moment in your career? I think that kind of flowed. I don't think I, I had a, a moment which a light bulb went off. I think perhaps my aha moment, I can say um, everyone who's in computer science probably wants to go to Silicon Valley at some point. Um, it's sort of our, our maker. Yeah. Um, so great. Yeah. So um, I always wanted to go, but I always thought it was beyond reach for some so for some reason. You know, we always have these mental blocks that we have in our head. And when I got the opportunity to go, I didn't just go as a tourist um, looking at the buildings from outside, but I was actually in a program where I could go inside and sit down with the CEOs or the founders of, of all these high tech companies and be able to meet with them and, and, and speak to them like I'm speaking to you now. So I think that helped me see that there are so many possibilities and really there are no limits to what I personally can achieve in this industry. Yeah. B, what was a bad business plan that turned to blessing? You know, in, in entrepreneurship, we face obstacles all the time. Um, I actually you just have to roll with the punches. Um, so if I had to stop and count all my failures, like I'd be sitting down the whole day just listening. <laughs> so I really, I, I really don't stop to um, count my failures. Like I always know that there's something next. I think the, 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 the key learning for me has been, you know, never think that you're losing an opportunity. Uh, sometimes you use an opportunity and you really feel down because we thought that was it. Um, and, and the trick that I've learned is that opportunity is like there's always going to be the next thing that comes up. So I, I just wrote with the patches. I, I actually never stopped to count how many times I failed because if I did that, I wouldn't be doing anything else. I'd just be sitting crying, counting the <laughs> And see, what was a cinematic comical moment? 
Well, I always get people sending me emails or letters calling me like Mister. I mean, I don't know for some reason people think I'm a Mister. Um, you know, um, and then they get surprised when they see that I'm a woman, especially people from outside the country. I think when when you are uh, leading a company, people always assume it must be a man. Mm. Um, so there's always uh, those those funny moments when um, you respond and then you say actually I'm a woman, um, or even better when they meet me in person and then um, there's been so many funny situations when we're like. Um, oh, we, we expected like a really big person. You, know? <laughs> you, you, you look so small. You look, you look so young. <laughs> you look so small. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> so I, I always just smile, brush it off, and keep moving. I think uh, our society has so many preconceived ideas of um, what a leader looks like, mm-hmm. what, a, what a business owner looks like, what an entrepreneur looks like. Or should be addressed, you know. If you don't know the agenda, then you just assume automatically that. Mm. And what I've done now, when I send um, letters or emails to someone, and I'm not sure of the agenda, I always ask first assume the feminine. Miss. Yes. Or I just say, dear man, dear madam. Uh, and if it's a sir, then you know that. Um, Countless women before him have been misgendered. So. Yes. I love that. <laughs> I'm doing that going forward if I don't know. Hi, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So now we're going to just end off with the quick five questions. It's just answer the first thing that comes to the top of your mind. Okay. So, morning or evening? Evening. Wonder Woman or Catwoman? Wonder Woman. What is one thing in your daily routine that you could not live without? What two books have you read that changed your life? Just two. <laughs> I know it is limiting. <laughs> I can, you can have more if you'd like. Uh, I think um, the magic of thinking big. Okay. Um, as as a businesswoman, I read a lot of uh, nonfiction. Sorry. Um, don't don't <laughs> We're encouraging to talk about failure and business and entrepreneurship and leadership. Listen. <laughs> yeah, the magic of thinking big, I think, um, from a business point of view. Um, and then the monk who, who sold his Ferrari. Okay, by Robin Sharma. And finishing the 5 a.m. club now, actually. And who are three people that you would love to have at a dinner party? They can be dead or alive. Um, Michael Jackson. <laughs> the second time he's been, he's been featured in this, actually. I like him. He's he's petty, but um, he's petty with, with a undertone sarcasm, you know. Like, yeah. On you. So I think I would get along with him at a dinner party. Um, and then the second person would be uh, Michelle Obama, and the third person would be and Cher. And Cher. <laughs> Interesting table. I'd love to know what conversations would go on there. And since we are having the tea with Nikki, what is your favorite tea? Uh, I like um, lavender. I've never had lavender tea. So I went to um, Turkey a few years ago and I stopped up on all the teas because I mean that's what they do. They drink tea all day. Yes. Um, And that's where I discovered all these different kinds of teas. But 
But thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so sorry about this morning run around, but it's been so lovely sitting, speaking with you and hearing everything that you're doing and everything you've done and helping 50 women in their SME, SMEs. It's just absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for taking the time thank to speak with me. I thoroughly enjoyed that interview with Nobukozi. It was so interesting to hear someone's opinion about the social dilemma who works in the data protection cybersecurity space. Also hearing everything that she's done with regards to pivoting her business, how she's helped other women to pivot their business. And I love her take on how she addresses misgender by calling anyone that she doesn't know their gender, man. I think it's something that I definitely want to carry on. I think it's kind of love. I think a key takeaway from what Nabokozi said is that if we sit and count our failures, we'll just sit all day and just cry. So keep your chin up and keep moving forward. She applied to the program going to the US to be in Silicon Valley four times and was rejected four times before finally getting the yes and going. So keep chasing, keep hustling and be fearless.